Hi guys, my name's Joe Barron from Slightly Mad Studios and you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. Hey, it's the Scene World Podcast. My name is AJ and that is Jurg over there. And I've already lost all the energy that I had when I started. <laughs> yeah, for the 110th time. Yeah. Yeah, come on. My good Lord. 110 of these things. Well, it was your idea. Yes, yes. Oh, um, yeah. Um, in a minute today, we are talking with Carl Lillerud. Did I say that correctly? Yes. He is an entrepreneur. He has a book out, and we are going to be talking a little bit about, um, well, about his book and about, uh, since he's got these entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, um, um, theories and, and, and stuff, um, kind of apply that to, um, how Commodore could have done things a little differently. Anyway. Yeah, Before so we do that. Yeah. News. So, I got two pieces of news, actually three pieces of news. Let's start with the internal news. Mm. We got a PR assistant. Oh my god. <laughs> Somebody that will um, help us with the social media game because we are not very good at it. At least we could be better. And so we got our previous guest remute. Yes. Yes. And, yeah, well, Dennis, welcome to the team. Very happy to have you in the team. And as you could hear um, in the interview with him, he is a big fan of us. Mm-hmm. And so in our last team meeting two weeks ago, we discussed if perhaps we should ask him to join because he's really good in this social media thing. And he agreed. So, hey, welcome yeah. to the team. I hope you also stay 20 years like the others, or yeah. even longer. Let's see. All righty. So, without further... Well, I've got, I got some news. you got some news, too. i got, okay, I got a couple of pieces of news here, which... Uh, uh, yeah, there's one thing uh, that I'm seeing, which is that um, the... the So, the, the we've got on the C64, there's there's the SD2IEC device, and there's all these different things for using SD stuff. Um on the Amiga, for some reason, the Amiga people love freaking Compact Flash. Uh, CF cards are like just where it's at, and I just realized, I just discovered that that's because CF cards use the regular IDD, the IDE standard, so it's it's really easy to you know just to kind of use them in place of an IDE drive. Um, but I, I kind of like SD cards, and you can get them at higher capacities for cheaper and all that stuff. Um, and and so far, like for the Amiga, your only real solution is like a GoTech for you know you use like a like a it's a fake floppy drive, and you stick a you know a USB stick in it, and and there's disk images and stuff on that. Right, but the GoTech is for many many devices, not only for the yeah. Amiga. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but this thing, uh, it's it's the uh, an SD card interface for the Amiga. Um, it is there's an open source web a web page on GitLab. It's called the SD Box. Um, it nice. plug yeah, it plugs into um, the parallel port. Weirdly enough, 
which is what you would normally plug your printer in into um and it is a an sd card reader and writer which promises a hard drive like experience on the amiga but using an sd card nice so so uh, you know in in this you could kind of skip the whole like, like i've got the aca 500 plus from from individual which has you know the onboard cf card things that act as hard drives but with something like this, you wouldn't even have to expand the computer. You just plug this into your parallel port, and you'd have a hard drive, essentially. Well, okay, then. Um, no, uh, at, at the moment, I don't think it's being actually sold. I think that you can build them yourself. Um, but I'm, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before someone starts selling them on eBay. and you know. Wink, wink. Yeah. And, and my, my second piece of news is... Um, we we talked to Thomas Cherry Holmes uh, about um, the Plato Online thing. We did, uh, yeah, a while back. One of his other big projects is the Fujinet, which is a um, network adapter um, that. Um, it, well, it was supposed to be a network adapter, but kind of morphed into a a sort of everything emulator for for the Atari. You know the the Atari. You know we the 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 Commodore has has their uh, serial bus, um, and the, uh, the Atari has that SIO bus, which is what you plug into you know your your hard your floppy drives and whatever else. Um, and the Fujinet kind of became an, an everything peripheral emulator for the SIO bus. Um, wow! You know, so you can log into BBSs. You can get on the internet, get onto the BBSs, get Atari disk images from servers, play network games. Uh, you know, pull up cartridge and disk images on an SD card, all that junk. Um, on his Twitter, t'other day, seventeen hours ago, exactly as of this recording, Thomas Cherry Holmes. Um, teased a Commodore 64 version of the Fujinet. You, you know, there are people, there are people in this um, retro demo scene um, or hardware world that you wouldn't believe um, the world would still be the same if they weren't around. I know. One one would be Vanessa Dennenberg. Mm-hmm. I mean, when 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 I saw what what she was doing, like when I first got in touch with the NTSC scene together with you and and other people, she was also on the list. I contacted, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, wow. And and then you know you have Thomas Cherry home. He's also doing magical tricks. Yes. And yeah. The, and and emulators and rebuilding systems re-engineering another person would be jim brain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who, who took over all the gvdos stuff from cmd like yeah amazing amazing yep. you know um it's it's incredible because um yeah because you know it's it's an or, or jens schoenfeld jens schoenfeld yes, is also right. one of those magic magical um hardware uh, developers and inventors and creators and um the the retro community is very very um well pl- um i would say praised and very very good with 
coming up with people to be creative yeah, in the hardware world, and that's that's amazing. The scene that's is, amazing. is very very lucky that these people are around to keep things moving along and 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 continue to produce things like this. Exactly, exactly. That's totally totally amazing. Yeah. So that so the, the a C sixty four FujiNet would um well obviously it would it would allow the machine to connect to the internet. It would uh, probably be an SD2 IEC device. Um, and Lord knows what else it could do because it's a general like IEC. It would be a general IEC peripheral adapt uh, uh, emulator. So it could pretend to be a printer or it could pretend to be anything that you would plug into the IEC bus. So, Yeah. Another bit of news regarding the Amiga is from Amiga News. Uh, .de. Um, the U.S. trademark Amiga is now registered by Amiga Corporation. Okay. Last autumn, Hyperion had withdrawn its opposition against Clontario's recitation of the OS trademark Amiga, according to a current paper work from the U.S. Patient and Treatment Office. Okay. The mark is now properly registered. And um, there is... There is also a note from the staff about it, and I think we will list to it. And um, from what I saw from the German version of the news piece and the comments, the community hopes that this um, brings more clearance and less war between the two companies. Mm. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not into Amiga at all, but I think it's some piece of news we should mention. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Anything that that kind of helps the Amiga is good. Um, I don't I don't know what trademarking the name because Hyperion was the one they're, they're the ones that came out with the newest the the three one four OS and the newest ROMs for it. Um, and you know I I mean I it's 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 such a it's such a a, a sloppy mess who owns Amiga and whatnot. Uh, it, it's good to have, um, it's good to figure that, to sort all that out. Now it's just a matter of doing something with it. Right, right. What the next steps from, from yeah, there? Yeah, now Colanto, I don't know that they have any particular interest in doing anything with it aside from selling, you know, Amiga Forever stuff. You know, yeah. it's like we're still, we're still. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. Yeah, they are also involved um, with the Z sixty four Mini and Z sixty four, the Z sixty four because the emulator inside seems mm-hmm. to be what they are using and provided. Yeah. So they got their foot into the hardware market right. thanks to thanks to those mini lines yeah yeah yeah. and maybe there there's i did see a thing a while back i think we talked about it here that someone had teased kind of a uh a the amiga 500 or something uh, to that effect but uh, i don't think that the amiga um i don't think i don't know that the amiga uh scene will embrace something like that quite as 
quite as much as this, even the C64 scene. I mean, there were a lot of people that didn't like the C64. They, they, they didn't impress it at all. I mean, yeah. most people impressed the DTV because it was FPGA-based. Mm-hmm. But because the new product is emulated-based, the product line, many people didn't impress it. And yeah. I mean... We we had we had um, Darren Mailburn, the project manager, in our um, interview in the podcast when he was on his holidays in Spain. <laughs> yes, and well, he had to admit uh, he went with what is cheaper nowadays to produce. Right? You know? Yeah, exactly. Not not what is the best for the product. So to speak, right? You know? Right. Because the audience is not the demo scene. Not the retro fans. Exactly, the audience exactly. is the John Q public that remembered having those computers. Um, might it be the VIC-20 or the right. 64, like uh, 40, almost 40 years ago. Yeah, and, and emulation has gotten to the point where it's good enough for most things. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so great. Yeah, you and I, we would like FPGA-based stuff. We would like stuff that, that you know, exactly, you know, you know, it copies the the hardware and whatnot, whereas the general population doesn't really. They just want to play a game, and and I've said before, you know, great if it if it expands the current user base of Commodore does, users, then great, does. then that's awesome, fantastic, you know. Definitely but you know, you know, but for general use, like it's not something I'm gonna. I wouldn't get a V six the C sixty four and use that as my C sixty four. True, true. I'd, right. I'd get a Mega 65 and use that as my C64. <laughs> nice. If they send me one, guys, I'm, we're still here, we're still we're still press, and we'd still like a review copy. Hint, hint, <laughs> wink, wink. A review copy of 800 <laughs> yeah. euros of value. Yes, a review, a, re, yeah, a review copy of the Mega 65 that I don't ever have to give back would be nice. Whoa. <laughs> All righty. Staying on the topic, C64. No, guys, it just got lost in the mail, really. So I sent it back to you. (laughs) uh, Okay, Uh, well, so there's a new C64 game remake from the Atari uh, 2600, and that is the shooter Spider Fighter. Mm. And that was, well, ported to the 64. That's a good thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> music charged by our own Richard Bayless. Yeah. Lloyd talking and testing. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, our guy, Richard Bayless, everywhere. Yes. Richard Bayless is a monster of production. What what Jim Brain is for the hardware world is Richard Bayless for the game coding and music world. Yeah. Alrighty. So other pieces of news: the German review from um, from the Low Tech sixty four magazine, Outrage, has been um, translated by Georg Fuchs into English. And has been published on the Vandalism News hmm. homepage. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's a game that was uh, published in cooperation of Protovision and Cytronic. So UK and Germany work together as two publishers. Yeah. And released that game originally in December 2020. And hmm. it's an outstanding action game. 
he cool. wrote. Nice. And the story behind this is epic because the game was supposed to be um, uh, released over uh, three years ago by Böder. Right. But but the German uh, publishing and disc producing company and so on, Böder went well out of business. Was taken over by another company, hmm. so the game the game never got published. So now it got uh, published and um, well, and Georg Fuchs also wrote to the games designer Bernd Buchecker. So enjoy the English version of that. Um, well, um, art piece of journalist, journalistic endorsement, <laughs> and we'll link to that in the podcast yes. description. Yeah, right And down. that's what we all have. Okay, well, so that's what I got. You so. have also, yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm so good. Let's, let's jump to Carl Lilroot. So, today... We are talking to Carl Lilroot, an internet e-commerce expert and entrepreneur. And um, I think currently you are sitting in Spain, I've read, right? Yeah, I actually, since we talked the last time, I actually uh, jumped on, a, on an airplane. And uh, I, right now I'm in Stockholm, Sweden. Ah, okay. So welcome to the podcast, Carl. Thank you. So let's uh, first start with the usual question. How did you get into tech in the first place? Um, the, in the very beginning, it was because I'm dyslexic. And uh, my grandfather uh, read an article about uh, that computers could be uh, of uh, assistance uh, for dyslexic uh, kids, basically. Um, so that's where it all started, and I inherited his uh, old computer, and uh, and then uh, I got totally hooked and and been hooked since then. What was the uh, what was the old one that you inherited? Uh, it was an IBM uh, two eighty six. Uh, I don't remember exact model right now. Wow, that must must have been at the. At the beginning of the nineties? No, it was uh, yeah, it was eighty nine, something ninety, yeah, something around there. Because that is exactly when this model of PC was the CPU type was modern. So around that, around those are, that, those are pretty retro now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a thing called retro PC. Actually, that's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was released in 1983, the IBM 286 XT. Hmm. Nice. And then obviously he used it for a couple of years, and then I inherited it. Interesting. So, what did you do with it? Um, did you also try to play games on it, or uh, word processing, which is also, I guess, one of those uses for such old computers? Yeah, the first thing is that uh, basically he came over and, and uh, put it up on on, uh, on the desk and I was just looking at it and like, what is this? I mean, it wasn't like an introduction or anything. It was like, it's here on your desk now. Use it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, I mean, I was a kid I and, and most kids back then didn't have... Even, 
haven't even hold or seen a floppy disk. So I was like, okay, so there's this thing, there's like a lid that I could put something in, and then there's this uh, uh, closing button. Okay, so let's try that. And I loaded a floppy disk, and and so I could see that something started, uh, but I didn't know what to do from that point. And, and basically, it was really learning, learning by doing. So, so the, the first thing to answer your question, the first thing that uh, that I started with was just understanding uh, the DOS commands. Uh, and after that, uh, I got from a friend uh, a game called uh, Stugan, which is uh, a text-based uh, game where basically you're presented with with what you see, but in text. Like, okay, so you're standing in front of a house. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to you to write commands. So like a text adventure. Yes. Yeah. Ah, okay. Interesting. Interesting. And and then at some point you decide to be an entrepreneur and e-commerce expert. I guess that is there there are some things that happened in yeah, between. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there has been a little bit of progress since then. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, so I started uh, playing with computers as a kid, and uh, and I became quite good at it. Um, and uh, so I, I became a consultant for small companies in in Stockholm, where I could help them with their IT needs, basically. And so I started my first company when I was 16 uh, as an IT consultant. Okay, that's quite early to run your own company, even even in Sweden, I guess. Yeah, uh, it was actually illegal at that time. <laughs> um, and um, and it was a real struggle to get the paperwork through. But, okay. Uh, to my... Um, which... Uh, it was good for me because uh, the the system for registering companies was paper based back then. Um, so somehow we managed to get the paperwork through. While if it would have been uh, based on a computer, then it would just uh, return error. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting. I mean, you would you would think as a teenager you have other problems, you know life issues or going to the discotheque on weekends spending free time with friends instead you you were focusing on on creating your own first company yeah but uh i had so much fun doing it i mean it, it was it was like a, a new world that most people couldn't see uh it was like an ad- adventure and okay. also just the challenges uh, in front of me all the time. Uh, okay. Like, okay, so there's a company that have this particular problem, and then, okay, so let's see how we can fix this. Uh, so it was almost like, like, um, like the game I told you about. Like you're presented with a problem. Now it's just up to you to solve it. Okay, so so you knew from an early age on you want to be an entrepreneur and be on the other side. Of companies, not not as a worker, but as a as a doer and creating your own companies. 
Yeah, and, and to support companies with my uh, quite vast experience now uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that the companies move in a, in a better order, but also that uh, we're not wasting time or money on doing things that are just, um, that's already been proven not to be as successful as something else, but also to dare to to question the norm and, and actually put your head out there and just try new things. And what was the turning point and the um, event that kicked off your idea, uh, your idea or your plan to become an e-commerce expert? I mean, if I remember correctly, in 1999, there was this dot-com bubble, at least here in Europe where uh, most internet startups would just burst and there were only a few that still remained and one of them would be um, eBay and Amazon, for example. So uh, yeah. what, what was um, your, your decision, uh, well, starter of uh, going into the e-commerce field regardless it bursted? At first, yeah, uh, I as I mentioned, I like challenges, uh, and to run an internet-based company uh, as uh, just during the bursting time of the of the dot-com bubble was for sure a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but I just tried to address the challenge in the proper way by by looking at the business model. How can I make sure that I have a business model that is not Uh, as risky and as affected by the negative impact of the the current climate, basically, for internet-based companies. So I started an e-commerce company that uh, that was a very early approach of what we sort of call drop shipping today. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um- You, you once said in an interview that I've seen that um, you have a little, I would say, problem or issue, and that is that you have constantly ideas every couple of months for new projects and and companies and IT-related or e-business-related ideas. Yes, and and this is this is this statement surprised me because you would think that nowadays there is almost everything already available. Well, no, I, mean, I have no, the same no, no. problem. It's just that all my ideas suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I would say that uh, that's a good start. <laughs> you have to start somewhere, and then uh, as uh, as you get become more and more aware of of your idea process or idea cycle you can you can actually see how you can improve your idea machine sort of mm-hmm. um, because you need to start somewhere i mean when you were a kid you you like all kids you sucked at walking you as an infant you were just lying there and eventually you start to crawl and eventually you could actually stand up and after a while you learn to walk mm-hmm. It's the same thing with almost everything. And to be an entrepreneur is quite challenging. You need to really know about how, how 
world might hit uh, hit you back, but uh, you need to just still keep on standing and try to prove to the rest of the world that what you have come up with is a really, really good thing. And in many situations, what you think is good is not actually good to the general public. Right, right. So when when other company went under in this dot-com bubble, you actually analyzed what they were doing wrong and putting your new ideas in new companies, but not doing the same mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And and also try to, to look at what they... Uh, what assumption they were driven on, because there's so many assumptions that we that we say base our decisions on. How can I actually step into those assumptions and see if they are correct? But I guess as an entrepreneur, it's also I guess a goal that you build up a new company based on an idea, and then reach the point with the company that it can run on its own. Because if you really make new companies every couple of months, you cannot be the CEO of all the yeah. companies you have created. Yeah, so that's, uh, you need to figure out the model for how to do that. Uh, so one thing is that first uh, understand why you have these ideas. The second thing is to understand what is the goal with these ideas. Is it to make money? Is it to become a super star? Or is it to just uh, uh, use it as personal development and, and learn from it? Um, and the, then if you are in a situation where you're running several ideas, some of them might prove to be successful. And then you will have a time constraint or you always have a time constraint, but you'll have a different type of time constraint. And you need to know and, and understand what your, what your best abilities are. And if you're already that type of personality that you have all these ideas and, and actually know how to execute on them, then your best strength might not be in in the next stage where you actually just run the business so then you need to know when to hand over to someone else and you need to know what to hand over to someone else i mean i mean we are basically f going under the commodore brand as as a podcast uh, despite also we, despite we cover the fact that other sites talk about almost never post commodore things yeah, well, depending <laughs> depending on what, but I mean, I mean, hearing that you said like um, looking at what would be good for the customers as a service, what would they like, and not what you think the market wants. Now the question is, if we look um, what happened to the brand Commodore in the last uh, twenty six years, then they went bankrupt. I mean. The, the the brand has hopped from one disaster to another, with one <laughs> exception, and that was the DTV, that joystick that you con could well, connect to. That was to a kind TV. of a disaster in itself because it was mismanaged. Nobody was paid. Yeah, yeah nobody right. was paid to ever work. I'd, I'd call that a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, but I mean, from a growth perspective, it was a success. Yeah, well, the product was. It, high. Made, it made somebody money. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. 
And and I mean I mean the last endeavor, if if I'm not mistaken, was this um, Commodore PC in a in a bread bin case mm. that was totally overpriced, but that company went out of business because the CEO died unexpectedly. Yeah. And yeah, um, I mean Commodore has been kind of a, a a comedy of errors since you know since it was even still. Uh, around you know i mean step number one would be just you know irving gould needs to be not there yeah and it, you know it was it was just a terrible terrible company that made some good products but it was a terrible terrible company and it is badly run and everything else yeah, yeah but, but isn't that because yeah. uh the the people involved in the companies uh had this uh thing that we were just talking about they they were innovators, but they didn't know how to brand the product. They didn't know how to meet the customers. They didn't know how to build the company. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know when to hand over to the right people. Right. So, I think. So um, so from from your so what what would what would sorry tongue twister what would you have done different if you were in that position. Um, back back in the days, I mean, well, let's, I mean, let's, I mean, let's let's look at it from a different perspective because okay, because you know the the Commodore of back in the day was going to be the you know it, Irving Gould siphoning money off to fly a jet to the Bahamas and back every day, and you know just just stuff like that is what killed the company, but but it's it's these these people that tried to bring it back and. Stuck, you know, they, 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 you get a license to the logo and stick it on an MP3 player that is just, you know, just some random thing that, that doesn't even look like anything that they've ever made before. And, you know, there's been a lot, of, a lot of these attempts to sort of make a thing that is reminiscent of what they used to do. And that's, that's really where we're stuck. Cause even like the latest one, like you're saying, the company in the US, um, they were making a, a budget PC. You know, just a Windows machine in a box in in a case that looked like a Commodore sixty four from nineteen eighty two, and yeah. you, you know, it's like it, how how do you how do you grow a company like that, or how do you move something like that forward? Is it or is it even worth doing something like that? I think that the the answer is quite obvious that they were. There were some believers uh, in in Commodore, but what they tried to build on uh, in a later stage was to build on a quite strong brand connected to these believers and then sell them something that had the brand but not the product. Right. So if you don't have a product, but just a brand, then then there's probably better ways to to sell something to the the brand supporters, like for example, t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Right. I, like mean, if, I mean, if you don't actually have the the product, then don't try to to hide it. Don't try to squeeze your uh, something into a box that doesn't actually uh, have that particular uh, product inside of it. Right, which is a good point because the uh, the way it was used before the Webbit, which was um, oh. basically basically um, a Windows three dot one machine with an emulator in it, 
<laughs> that, yeah. that wasn't really a and, Commodore and, and, machine. And it even. was so confusing, too, because it wasn't even just like, you, you know, it, it wasn't like it was the the Commodore Webbit, which uh, uh, if it was the Commodore Webbit, okay, fine. No, this was the Commodore 64 Webbit. So immediately you start thinking, okay, well, but the Commodore 64 was this thing from the 1980s, and this is a different thing. It, why are you still calling it that? You know, it, it's it's just this is like oh, you know, like I said, just a comedy of errors and and just just terrible ideas. Mm. Compared yeah, to but there's versus a lot these to learn there also. Sorry, what was that? There's a lot to learn there also. Mm-hmm. Compared to these Italian dudes in in Italy right now that are are producing cell phones with the Commodore name, and they are, it's not. They're 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 using the name, I guess, for brand recognition, but they're also doing sort of the kind of thing that Commodore would probably have been doing if they were still around now. They're not like stuck yeah. trying to to be like it's a Commodore sixty four telephone. Like no, that's not what it is. It's a Google phone with a Commodore logo. Yeah, but that's uh, there's two things to it there. Obviously, if there's um, if there's a brand value, you could always reuse the brand to try to to connect with previous supporters. And and if there's a brand value, there will be some something online that could uh, that you can piggyback on. Right. Um, but as you say, there's also a complexity connected to it that if you don't deliver what the brand uh, was standing for before, then you will probably have a bit of a uh, uphill struggle. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, for for me as a customer, I mean, Commodore used to be the brand where you know it was the first home computer in every household. But the latest PCs you could buy from the Commodore brand, they were starting like six thousand dollars for the cheapest model. I was like, there's no way I can afford that. Yeah, but it was also the, the company that that had a you know an acceptable return rate of like a hundred percent on busted computers. Like like they just get them under get them under the, the trees for Christmas. Was you know and, and and we'll fix them later. That's also yeah. that's also the that's also the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, it's a really an. Um, an interesting journey uh, to see how many errors things can have. Yeah, um, yeah. How badly things, how badly people can screw things up and continue to compound those screw ups on top of other screw ups. It's a yeah, but uh, in in this strange world that we're living in, if you get publicity, um, you can get uh, investors' money, or you could get investors' money. I would say that investors today are much more picky about what they actually invest in. Right. Um, but uh, but uh, a few years back, the the hype was so high, so many investors was afraid of uh, of of missing out of opportunities. What's called the FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's where many wrong decisions were made. Right. Okay, so now we spoke a lot about mistakes. Now, now let's talk about how to do things right. What is what is your 
normal way of of creating um what is what is your well your normal go to and stepping to when you create a new e-commerce company from the idea of the actual the company is there and the product is to the customers yeah so first of all it's not uh, just uh, for e-commerce companies but i think that this model can apply to almost any any venture the first and, and most important thing is how much time do i need to spend before i start potentially earning any money mm -hmm. and can i agree on spending that time the second thing is how much money do i need to spend before i actually start earning money and and can i afford that right. and then the third thing is okay so i'm actually earning money but am i actually getting back to cash positive or is it that i'm earning one buck but i need to spend 10 bucks every day and how long will it take before i actually gotten my money back and and how how does it how does it go with idea building up i mean do you do brainstorm or is it like you have the idea in your head all the time and then as you just said look in the investment plan yeah so it's uh at first there's an idea uh, obviously in my in my head um and then i go over to brainstorming mode and i do that in in mind mapping so i use a tool called mindmeister which i really love um and i just start to push out the different thoughts that i have so I basically uh, I'm making space in my mind for for new thoughts connected to this because if I try to keep everything in my mind, I will lose some of them. So I just want to get them written down. And as I write them down, I see logical patterns start shaping and I see dependencies. And quite soon I can see what what's needed to make this, whatever it is, a possibility. I can see uh, if I need to invest time. I can see if I need to invest money. I see if I need to invest in legal counseling or anything else that I need to to include before I can actually launch this. Or basically, I can quite easily see a time plan. Which is actually good. Which is actually good uh, point because. Many, many people, when they create new brands or new products, they don't do enough research if the brand creates any problem, if you use the name. Yeah. I mean, there are tons yeah. of examples where, where companies had to rename because their brand name was too similar to what was already out there and then, then they would get sued. Yeah, for sure. So that's basically um, a thing that happens all the time, still nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then you have the the challenge with patterns, which is even greater. Um, but uh, after I've gone through those uh, few steps, I start looking at, uh, at uh, go-to-market strategy and customer acquisition. So how will I actually get my first customer? who's not a friend, someone that I don't know, that I 
never met before? How can I get the first person that is willing to pay for my product? So it must be something neutral. So you can be sure he's not saying, saying you nice things out of favor. Exactly. So it, it must be someone that, uh, that basically um, will question what you have, not just accept it. And then wow. what questions will I receive based on that? And how will I actually answer those questions to create value and, and trust? Okay. Because I can, I can create the, the most amazing product, something that will change our lives. But if no one knows about it, then it's a quite crappy product. <laughs> that's, that's true. Or definitely it's a bad business model. <laughs> yeah. So, um, is there a prominent example that you could tell us where your idea was totally successful? Uh, I don't think that there is a case where something is totally successful. Uh, I don't believe in that uh, at all. Uh, I oh, think that this okay. is uh, something that uh, will grow over time and you will learn that... Uh, Uh, you will learn based on many mistakes and misunderstandings and mis uh, or, or expectations that were not as you expected. And so you will fine tune your product. You should never think that you can launch the perfect product. And you should always launch before you think you are done. You need to start to measure the, the customer's uh, 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 impressions uh, of your product. Okay. So try okay. try to shave all shave out uh, shave off all the things that uh, that's uh, sticking out from your box. Basically, try to just make it into a box and see if you can sell that box without all the bells and whistles. And then try to add the the, the bells and whistles to it. That's quite interesting because um, I thought always as somebody having no idea about entrepreneurship, I always thought like first. You have the idea, then you think about how can I get the money together to actually start producing the product. But if you say, if you say, you don't start your uh, new company with the assumption that your product is perfect, but you are um, taking it slow and thinking in little steps, that's that's a different approach than than I thought I would go because I I think. If 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 I as somebody creating the company do, don't think that my product is awesome, why would I even try wasting energy in it, trying to build up the company? Yeah. Yeah, you should definitely think that your product is awesome, uh -huh. but um, what I have learned over the years is that what I think is awesome does not need to be something that everyone else thinks is awesome. Okay. They're not in the same position. They don't have the same background. They, they are not um, um, interested in the same things or they don't experience problems in the same way as I do. So okay. maybe people just accept problems for being problems. Uh -huh. In some situations, a solution is actually... Um, a challenge for some people because they need to learn something new. They have already learned um, 
how to handle a specific problem every time it happens, like reoccurring problems. Uh, so let's 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 take some idea. Uh, there's a water leak in your tap, okay, and it starts dripping. Okay, so mm -hmm. uh, that's a problem. And whenever you use the tap, it starts dripping a little bit, and then you turn off the tap, and the, and the drops uh, stop because you just uh, cut the water flow. Um, then, if I were a plumber, I could say that that is a problem, and I can fix it. And let's say that it's costing you fifty bucks because I need to. Um, disassemble it and do some things and put in some new pieces or whatever. And then the, the, the receiving end might say, yeah, but it's okay. I'm, I'm not bothered by this problem. It's just dropping a little bit when I'm using the tap. Yeah, but it's, it's a problem. It's not working because I'm a plumber and I see this problem. And I know how to fix it. Yeah, but I won't pay 50 bucks for that. And that's the reality that many people don't think of, that the problem that you experience as a big problem might not be experienced by the receiving end as a big problem. I actually have a real-life example of that. When, when, when I was in Sofia, Bulgaria 12 years ago, I was doing a call to my, my family over Skype to say, like, I arrived well. But I heard the uh, CPU fan was rattling. And yeah. I told them, okay, you need to invest the five euros and get a new fan because otherwise your CPU will burn from overheating. Yeah. And they told me, no, it's not a big deal. It's just a bit loud, but the computer works fine. And then a month later, I was told, yeah, the fan stopped working, the CPU blew, and the PC stopped working. And then it was more expensive to replace the computer altogether than just getting rid of the problem when it was still little and did cost less to get it fixed yeah so i so guess that's, that's, that's a world we live in that that some people see these problems as opportunities and and many other people see problems as things that they just need to accept and and they don't see the future um of you know the problem could get bigger with time and then in the end cost you more than when you, and instead of fixing it in the first place, when you still had a chance to have it under control. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, so, so you say that the, uh, the basic uh, perception of the average person of as long as it's not a big problem for me, I keep it the way it is, is obviously not the best solution. And you see it not as a problem, you see it as an opportunity to create something better and rather take the risk than not even start trying. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we should always try to improve in whatever situation it is. Otherwise, we're just wasting life. True, true. Okay. So whatever it is, I I try to improve, and whatever it is, I try to learn from from that um, uh, improvement process. So, improvement is your 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 final destination 
of being an entrepreneur. You, you just don't want to create new companies as a sake of creating new companies and bringing ideas to people to actually, but actually improving the lives of people by the yeah. products you offer. Yeah. Uh, a little bit silly, but still, I think it, uh, I think with us saving lives. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, I, mean I, I can say right now, for example, as we have this pandemic, unfortunately, um, a lot of products right now in the medical area that allow to connect to patients remotely are in a hype because yeah. um, doctors can can keep the distance to patients, but still make sure their vital data are okay and so on. So, yeah. So um, perhaps instead of, you know, seeing it as a bad situation because certain businesses and companies are going down, it also creates new opportunities because of new necessities caused by the pandemic in a way. Definitely, definitely. I mean, there, there definitely there is... Uh a challenge and a huge um, problem for many people and companies, but there's also many opportunities. Hmm. And I actually wrote an article on LinkedIn the other day about this and the, the current state that we're in, uh, but not from, a, from a, a problem point of view, but from an opportunity point of view. But this is actually a huge opportunity in this situation for many entrepreneurs and many companies because there will be no other situation in the future where all your competitors are frozen. That's actually an interesting. I never thought about it this way. Because everybody we spoke to since March are like, yeah, my business is going down, things are going slow. And, and you are actually um, one of the first saying like, hey, take it as an, as an opportunity to make something new while your competitors are struggling. That's a totally yeah. new angle of seeing things. Yeah, because this is the greatest opportunity that you can have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess but, as an but of course there, there is a yeah. challenge. Definitely, I, I'm well aware of the challenge for for the business owners, and and you just need to not uh, walk in the same uh, footpath as you used to. You need to think uh, a little bit outside the box and see how you can do things in another way. Well, I mean, I mean, I can see, I can see where the society changed a bit already. I mean, in my own family, my father is uh, suddenly doing WhatsApp video calls with me. <laughs> Because yeah. I figured out, hey, this summer we couldn't meet because of the pandemic, but at least I can I can see you by video calling over WhatsApp, and 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 now um, just in the news recently here in Germany they said that the um, the um, the geographic of the age group using the internet shifted because now even people in the age group sixty plus are using the internet more often. Because they will rather order the stuff online than going in a store, despite they are in a, in in a in a risk group, and um, risk being exposed to a virus. 
Yeah. So that means also that um, if you start a new company now or after the pandemic, um, perhaps you can even get more customers than before because the question is when the pandemic is over and and will we really go back to normal or will those people say, oh, it was so it was so comforting to do this from home from my computer why should I stop doing that and rather go to the store on foot and do it in person? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that everybody has, uh, had transformed as a, as a result of the pandemic and, and the challenges that we're going through. Uh, one thing that I'm just very surprised about is that uh, the e-commerce sites uh, have not learned from this and uh, and. Uh, are not offering subscriptions for all, all the products that are feasible to offer as a subscription model. Like for example? Every, everything that, uh, that you use up, there, there should be a subscription option when you buy it. But Amazon is doing that already since a couple yeah. of months. Yeah. yeah, they are. But not for all products, but for some. True, true. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't do it for toilet paper for a reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So, so let's talk about the stuff you do. You, you are also actually writing books, and and one of those books that you are actually promoting right now is hacking your destiny. And yeah. um, how does this fit together to what we just spoke about? Yeah, so Hacking Your Destiny is, uh, is a book that I've been written, uh, writing on for many years. Uh, it's, it's, a com uh, it's a book with many different angles, but the sole intention is to make sure that you, as a reader, get more out of your everyday life and that you understand that you can take control of your own life. You don't need to be a sheep in the herd. You can actually choose your own path, and, and by doing so, you're literally hacking your destiny. Because I don't think that there is something that is uh, a destiny in the way that we think of destiny uh, when we talk about it nowadays. I think that it's up to you to make your own decisions. But what we have seen over the years is that uh, we're being more and more influenced by. Um, by things that are pushed in front of us, basically. Hmm. Uh, and, and brands have learned that this is something that they can build on. Companies have learned that they can actually design a business model that connects to this uh, psychological behavior. And most consumers don't understand that this is something that they have designed their approach around. So is that book more written to uh, from this perspective of teaching the customer what we don't know? Or is it more written over the perspective from an entrepreneur what business should do different? No, this book is, uh, is more written for, for uh, every other people that you can think of, basically. Like... Uh, a person that is in a situation where uh, they are sort of caught up by life. Okay. 
Well, which uh, is probably so I, I, I address many different challenges and many different questions that I've been working on in this book, and, and for every chapter, I I explain a question that I've been carrying around many times for many years, and then I go into the question and try to dig into it so that the reader really understand this particular topic. Um, and by doing so, they, they understand it from my point of view, but I wanted to make sure that the reader transformed the question into their self and their, their own situation. So I, in the, in the next step, I have present a model or a procedure, uh, of how I solved this problem. But as I do that, the reader actually uh, transform what I explained as a question into their own situation where they have their own questions. So first you read an example, basically, and then you have a training procedure where you train yourself to make better use of the, of the model or the tool. I guess there's this term life hacking, right? Improving your life yeah. based on models and solutions. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Maybe, maybe I should. I mean, I mean, the type of books I'm reading normally are computer history based. <laughs> I, I never, yeah. I never, I never, um, never read a book about um, life hacking. But it's interesting. Just recently, we had an interview with uh, somebody who, who did the game a color switch that was hugely successful on the mobile market on smartphones yeah. and he said that all he learned he he learned from reading books so i I, yeah. i will always remember this was the only guest we had was like yeah i did this because i read it in a book because normally yeah. normally the the common the common perception is like um why should i read a book about it you know i mean i mean ev everybody everybody is making promotion for his book um, but but I've never met so such a person like him who actually learned from the books and and turned them into a reality. So that's probably an interesting thing to look into. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. I I think that I am a person that um, that really think on my own and who likes. Uh, to push myself, but I read tons of books, mm -hmm. and it helps me to make use of other people's uh, life experiences, and it helps me to run faster, basically, and, and make wiser decisions. Because you're not repeating the mistakes others did. Yeah, and maybe I'm combining... Uh, five different solutions that I read about in different books and, and making use of, of the mistakes that I might have read about in, in three other books. And by doing so, I come up with a totally new solution. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I should, maybe I should read um, yeah. those. Well, I mean, Hey, I'm always open to learn something. I'm always open to learn something. Um, because my my perspective as a child was always like, yeah, you know, 
how how do you know that what you read in the book is actually useful for your life you uh, in the in the uh, in the end you never know until you actually bought the book read the book and then tried it out you know yeah well, yeah um, that's but that's the case for anything whether you're seeing some an idea online or in a book or whatever it's all you know well i mean um so basically from from my side that would be All the questions yeah. I had. I mean, we already yeah. filled an hour with that. Thanks for <laughs> sitting with us, with, with us, Carl. Um, was a, Thank you. Was a nice insight in learning what an entrepreneur is doing and um, covering the e-commerce. Um, because normally, you know, you read about that people in the news, but you actually normally don't talk to an entrepreneur. So, Yeah. I'm happy we finally we finally did this interview. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. And um, um, if you like, you can just go to carlilru.com to find out more about me and, and the books and, and my TED Talks and so on, uh, which I think you might find interesting. Absolutely. And we will oh. put a link to all that in the podcast description down below. And I'm pointing, even though Perfect. this is an audio podcast and no one can see me. But we'll put we'll put that down there so everyone can click on that and check out what you what you've got going on. Amazing. Great. Okay, awesome. great. So thanks Perfect. for taking the time, Carl. Yes, and thanks for ha us. have a have, have a good evening, right? Same to you. Yeah. Take care, guys. Bye.